Digital Marketing Radio, episode 146. How to grow your audience on YouTube. DigitalMarketingRadio.com I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio. Weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain I'm joined today by a man whose work has been recognised by Forbes, Advanced Photoshop and Photoshop Creative Magazines. He's a creative entrepreneur with 10 years commercial experience in design and marketing. Welcome to DMR, Roberto Blake. Thanks so much for having me, David. Well, it's great having you here, Roberto. You can find Roberto over at robertoblake.com. So, Roberto, I thought I was doing okay with YouTube. I've got about 4,000 subscribers and um, over 100,000 views in one video, but you put me to shame. <laughs> you, you've got like 90,000 subscribers and like loads of videos with tens of thousands of views. So what's your secret, sir? Um, like that's the interesting thing. There's not so much a secret. It's, it's hard work, David. It is, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hustle. There's a lot of components that go into that. Um, I actually feel that a lot of times when I'm asked this question that people are looking for some uh, magic formula, a silver bullet, um, a system, something that they can growth hack. Mm. The reality is that there is no secret and substitute for hard work and, and a little bit of talent helps. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Yeah. So how long have you actually been on YouTube for now then? Everyone like asks this question. It's interesting because there's a difference between how long you've been on YouTube and how long you've been active right. in whatever is actually working. And therein lies the difference. You know, uh, I know people who will tell you, oh, yeah, I've been playing like uh, basketball my whole life. But it's like, OK, but when did you actually like start taking it seriously? And mm -hmm. when did you actually, you know, join a rec league and start, you know, practicing your hoops every single day in the driveway? Like, when did you get serious? Like, that's the real answer. And so um, I was messing around on YouTube back in 2009, but I don't count it because when you do four videos every two years, you can't expect anything. And I didn't have any results back then, so it, it, it doesn't matter. But when I started taking it seriously, when I started doing consistent weekly content with uh, a purpose in mind, that was in the end of July of 2013, less than three years ago. And so that's where my YouTube journey really started because I decided what I wanted to put out into the world, what I wanted my channel to really be about. Um, I made a choice as to who my audience was going to be going forward and the value that I was going to create for them. So when you make that decision and you make that commitment to like, you know, just like yourself, you've done a hundred episodes of the digital marketing radio show, mm. but you might've been doing other things before that, that might've involved audio. Yeah. But like when you decided to take, um, you know, digital marketing radio and social media and those things seriously that's really the beginning like you might have signed up for uh twitter back in 2009 but like when did you start really getting serious about twitter 2007 you know? actually but yeah absolutely i haven't um been that serious about it and until quite recently and i'm quite enjoying using it properly i think back originally i was doing a lot of the i'll follow someone if they follow me kind of nonsense but um everyone was figuring out social media at the time really yeah I think a lot of people started that way. Um, I don't think that that, I think that people should be for sure much more educated than that today that it doesn't work that way, mm. but not so much. I'm actually seeing that as a big issue in the YouTube community and space is that everyone has, there's all these myths and assumptions about YouTube. One of the things that I hear the most is, well, you need to collaborate with a big YouTuber 
or you need a bunch of subscribers. So sub to everybody and get them to sub back to you so you can get more subscribers because people only pay attention to you if you have more subscribers. And all of those things that people want to believe and think, they're false and they're using false, like they're using real data to tell a false story. They're using things that, you know, common sense would tell you if you really think about it more than five seconds aren't true. Yeah. Like, you know, and I know that when you go and you do a YouTube search that you'll see a lot of these people on the first page that have like a hundred thousand or a million subscribers and they dominate for whatever video you're thinking about. Right. Yeah. What people don't realize is if you do some other searches, there'll be people on that same front page that'll have 50 or a hundred thousand views that have 20 subscribers. And is, is that sometimes better if you're producing good content or are subscribers, number of subscribers really important on YouTube? They're not. No. They're not important in YouTube almost at all. Now, they help you in a different way. It's not the number of subscribers. It's that the, if you have a loyal following, that will benefit you in the things that YouTube does care about. It's not the subscribers by themselves. What that means, meaning this, if somebody has earned that kind of following on YouTube, they've done it by being good. Talent brings people in. If you're a performer that has been doing something for five years, if you're Lindsey Sterling and you've been, you know, in the game, um, doing, uh, her unique version of music and dance and violin and just crushing it and bring something completely unique, she can sell out Madison square garden. Right. Mm. But if you're somebody who decides one day that, Oh, Lindsay's cool. I'm going to dance and play the violin or I'm going to dance and play the drums. And you have the expectation of selling out Madison Square Garden because, well, I've been working hard for a year and I've been working hard for two years. Lindsey Sterling has been playing the violin since she was like in sixth grade. And she did that all the way up through college before she ever became a YouTuber. So she put in the work to become good. And she was on America's, uh, you know, um, America's Got Talent, uh, where she didn't uh, end up doing very well, again, according to Pierce Morgan. But six years, seven years later, he's forced to eat those words when he told her she would never show out, sell out a show in Vegas, right? Yeah. It's, it's like hard work. So if someone said to me, well, I work hard on my YouTube videos. Why am I not growing? I would, I would question it. I'd be like, well, you realize that YouTube is about videos online, right? And they would be like, well, duh. I was like, so are you good at making videos? Are you good on camera? Are you good at editing videos? And okay, cool. So are all these other people who have been doing it longer than you. So where do you stand in your effort and your journey if you're a first-time filmmaker, a first-time video editor, a first-time you're getting comfortable on camera? How are you more interesting or more comfortable or more polished or as good to take five minutes of someone's attention away from somebody who's been doing it eight years? So what changed for you in 2013 when you decided to take it seriously? And why did you actually choose YouTube as your medium? I had no intention of becoming a big YouTuber. I actually started doing weekly Photoshop tutorials because I wanted to help somebody who would be like me that was doing that. And it was a creative outlet for me personally um, to use this skill in a different way. I was very passionate about sharing it. I'd been blogging for a while and doing like some tutorials and I wasn't satisfied with just writing out instructions and putting like still photos and screen captures up. 
I wanted to show people how to do this. I wanted to explore and challenge myself. And I was looking at tutorials. And I was like, wow, a lot of this stuff is not helpful or is not explained well. So I started doing that. I got questions and feedback. People started asking me about careers in digital art, graphic design, and photography. So I was asked, and just because of who I am, I was like, well, I should make a video and I should talk about that instead of writing an article because it's going to be more helpful and it's going to be easier for me to talk through it than to write it. So even though I'm a decent writer, I felt like I could just communicate better in a conversational platform. So I started playing to that strength. Um, and I developed that strength and I found that I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the interaction of putting something out there, getting feedback, having someone tell me that it was helpful to them. So I really started thinking about it and philosophically, I asked myself, well, you don't want to become a college professor and you I, like, if you're me, I'm like, I've become very jaded about college. Even though I went to college, I was like, I feel that today. Yes, the value is still there, but the price point is disproportionate for what you get yeah. comparative to all the resources available because you still need discipline to get through college, but you only need a fraction more discipline to teach yourself if you have access to the resources. And depending on where you are in the world, what's available to you in terms of education may not be as good as learning from the top practitioners in the world that are on the internet at whatever you're doing, whether it's photography, filmmaking, design, writing, or even business, you have access to um, people like Gary Vaynerchuk. You have access to um, viewing like tips from and the journey of Mark Cuban, Damon John, like all these people in the business world, great photographers like Matt Granger or Jared Polin or Eric Rossi. So why wouldn't you take advantage of people who are doing this in the real world, sharing what they're doing this week, not what they did 10 years ago in their career. So I decided that like, if I want to help people create awesome things, share them with the world, get better at whatever their craft is and share part of my journey, this platform can reach people all over the world. This platform can be monetized. This platform can grow my business. This platform can do so many great things. And so and also, I enjoyed it. So I got really passionate about that, and I just decided to uh, follow through. And the more consistent I was, the better I got. That was gratifying. More people responded. More people joined the conversation. More people asked me for different things. And I got to explore my creativity. I got to use all my skills as somebody with a web design and marketing background to figure out how to rank for videos and realize that, nope, it's not subscriber count. It's all this SEO, organic search engine optimization. It's good thumbnails because, oh, I was in advertising making billboards and stuff when I was in New York for Times Square. It's like, huh, every thumbnail is a billboard. Really good thumbnails matter. I'm a graphic designer. I can win here. I can beat like YouTubers because I'm a graphic designer. Oh, like I was learning wedding photography and shooting wedding videos when I was 15, um, working for um, a photography business locally. Like, so, hmm. I probably have a skill set and an advantage over somebody who's never done that. Like, let me use it. So I played to my strengths and it worked. And is there a certain type of video that um, is more predictable in doing better than other types of videos? That's a myth. Um, that's a myth because that's a myth because people will sit there and they'll think, well, oh, well, prank videos do very, very well on YouTube. If that's your audience but then you're competing with all these other people and they have certain skills that you don't have or setup that you don't have. Like, it's not about that. Like everyone thinks that's that 
the reality is there are 7 billion people on earth, right? You want 100,000 people to pay attention to what you're doing, be interesting, be good at it, and be cool and show up and be consistent. And you probably can, over time, accumulate 100,000 people that are interested in whatever you're interested in. Because for everybody who's a successful like YouTube gamer, there's a successful beauty blogger. Yeah. There's a successful travel person. There's a successful business person. There's a successful photography personality. There's a successful musician. There's so there's no type of video. And I think that so many people get that wrong. I think so many people get into YouTube with the wrong intentions. They want to get on YouTube to become YouTube famous or to make YouTube a career or a job. YouTube's not a career. YouTube's not a job. It can be a business if you want it to. It can scale a real business or a personal brand like it did for me. But your intention on being on YouTube should be about sharing and doing the thing that you're stupid excited about with as many people are as stupid, excited about it and goofy about it as you and nothing else. And if that's 50 people, great. Do you know how grateful I would have been at 16 or 15 years old to have the attention of 50 people mm. at a given time for what I was doing with art or photography or my writing? I would have loved the attention of 50 people because remember, I'm talking about, I'm 32. People don't realize that I'm turning 32 this year. I remember back in the day when I got started with everything with computers, I was 13 years old. AOL 6.0 was the game. <laughs> and like, you know, computers had, what was it? Like, we still had floppy disk back then. Like these kids, they have no idea. Like you, you'd have to pay $50 for a 64 megabyte, not 64 gigabyte, 64 megabyte thumb drive. Mm. Okay. Like you have no idea. Dial up 56K modems, zip disk, right? So so when I got started with all this stuff and everything like that, there wasn't a marketplace or, or somewhere where you could get that hundreds or thousands of people to pay attention to your stuff and get approval, please. So, I mean, it's about respecting the relationship and understanding that you are blessed to live in an era and a time where a hundred people from all over the world might care about what your thing is. And that's a lot. That's a lot. And I think it's taken for granted. And I think the big numbers, jade people, I hear people whine about, I only have a thousand subscribers. A thousand human beings care about you. Yeah. Get over it. Absolutely. It's, um, it almost seems unreal or unrelatable to if you gave a talk and um, you had a thousand people in front of you then, then that's reality. But um, if you have a hundred or a thousand subscribers, it almost seems like, um, well, it's just, it's just a number on the screen and it's hard to picture those people, but they are real people. They are real people. And I've actually made some of my best friendships, best business relationships, networking partners and friends through this platform. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's why I um, like, People don't like people don't believe it until they actually see it. But like I reply to just about everybody. And I think if you've seen any of my stuff, David, like I reply to almost everybody. It's unreasonable at 90,000 subscribers, but I do it and I make a point of do it because they are real human beings and they are a real relationship. And I respect and I value that in a way that most people don't. And then I see people with 50 or 100 subscribers that mm. have like 10 comments and they haven't replied to any of them. And then they want to keep asking for people to make a commitment to them. Well, where's your commitment to your audience? I hear people wanting to say, well, you know, they want, they've done 10 videos. 
why aren't I growing? Why don't I have a hundred thousand? Why don't I have a hundred subscribers? I'm like, you've done 10 videos. You might quit tomorrow. You're like, you're talking about quitting right now because you don't feel like you got what you wanted. You have no commitment here. Why would somebody make a commitment to you when you are not making a commitment to them? You're not responding to them. You're not asking them for feedback. You're not asking them what they want or need from you. You're doing no customer service and relationship. And so that matters. You are offering so much valuable advice, Roberto. It's, um, it really is superb, the, the advice what you're sharing. I, I don't want to interrupt you here. I just want to pass the microphone over to you and say, well, right, no, okay, go keep ahead. on sharing. <laughs> Please feel free because I will just rant. You know, <laughs> but like, no, it's, ask- good. it's good rant. I'm, I'm quite happy jumping in with someone who's just ranting for the sake of it, not sharing any value, but you're, you're absolutely sharing superb value. In terms of actually promoting a video and launching a video, You've got about 90,000 subscribers. So if you published a video um, and then did nothing else, um, how many views would be reasonable for you to expect in the next few weeks? And do you actually do more than that now? Um, Where else do you actually promote? Uh, Do you pay to promote videos at all? Um, I don't pay for traffic and I pay for zero marketing. Um, Well, let me rephrase that. I pay for zero advertising. I do pay for some marketing, i.e. I pay for the cost of my MailChimp email list. Uh, to maintain it. I pay for the marketing uh, vis-a-vis my Create Awesome and always be creating shirts and merchandise. Uh, As far as ads, I do zero YouTube ads. I do zero Facebook ads. I do zero Twitter ads. I pay zero and have paid zero this entire time. Uh, So I don't do that. Um, I know no one in YouTube uh, directly or personally working for YouTube. um, And I have not collaborated with any YouTubers with a bigger audience than mine. Uh, not once. In fact, all of my collabs have been people with no YouTube audience or a smaller one than me. Um, so there's that part of it. I post, um, automatically my videos through YouTube settings. It posts to, um, to Twitter, Mm. um, and to Facebook. Um, occasionally I will recycle more, less of a video that recently came out and more of a video that I'm, uh, that's older or something from an old playlist I promote in Twitter and Facebook more. And statistically, according to YouTube, 80% of my views across the entire channel are from non-subscribers. So that really kills most of the usual assumptions around how YouTube video views and YouTube promotion works right off the bat because um, if you look even like and people immediately jump to thinking well your view to subscriber ratio is horrible Roberto Um, what they're not accounting for is that we haven't discussed is I have a schedule of seven days a week of different types of content I did which is the opposite of traditional marketing advice. And I'm not saying that anyone should do this. I have a larger plan and a bigger legacy goal and I have a business reason. I this. And I also wanted to prove a point with doing it. I wanted to do, I wanted to do something that was challenging. I wanted to do something harder than most people do. And so I am relevant and authoritative for multiple types of content across my channel. Mm. And if you see my most popular videos, I have popular videos with tens of thousands or almost 100,000 or 100,000 or more for each category of the seven types of videos that I do, I've crushed it at some point for that type of content in a real big way. And it comes down to the value of the content, meaning this, that the first 72 hours of a YouTube video going live are really important for how many views you get. 
not all of my 90,000 subscribers are graphic designers. Not all of them are photographers. Not all of them are tech enthusiasts. Not all of them are YouTubers. Not all of them care um, about tutorials or need a tutorial. And each individual video that I do solves one problem, meaning that if you're not trying to grow your YouTube channel, but you're subscribed to me because I do really good reviews on laptop gear or travel gear, you're not watching that video and you don't need to. And I don't want you to if it's not helpful to you. So unlike an entertainer, unlike a PewDiePie or a Tyler Oakley, I'm not going to get majority of my audience to watch each and every video. And I don't want them to, and I don't need them to. It's called a YouTube channel. So I have, for the better, uh, for the more practical term, seven shows that I put on throughout the week that I've shot and edited and scheduled and released. And I have seven different verticals that I'm competing in. And uh, that's how I do it. Now, I'm not saying everyone should do that. I don't think most people should do that. I don't think most people would be good at it. I do that because I'm 32 years old. I've been different things in my career like we've talked about. I've been a graphic designer and web designer. I did that in um, the advertising world for over a decade. Um, you know that I've been doing photography and I did the wedding photography stuff since I was like a teenager. So I have a background. I love cameras and I love camera gear. Sure. I've been building computers since I was 13. Like there's a lot of stuff I actually did and I'm excited about it. And I talk to friends about it every day. So I want to actually do it. And then as an entrepreneur, I'm a business person. So I do that content on Saturdays. I built and grew a YouTube channel. I talk about that on Fridays. So like what I'm getting at, and you know, I know that the little law, like, you know, ring around the rosy there, what I'm getting at is there really isn't a secret. Now, if there is a secret, I'll say this. I really use the search optimization part of YouTube because YouTube's a giant search engine. It's the second biggest search engine in the world. And here's where people make the mistake. This is the part of YouTube that people get the laziest about. Thinking about what will someone type into the search box? When someone says to me, well, I'm not getting any views on my videos, Roberto. It's like, how is someone going to find that video? Well, I promote it in social media. I'm posting it on Twitter and Facebook and everything like that. It's like the majority of people find YouTube videos in YouTube. Mm. If they are going to view it in social media, it's going to be more likely that they're viewing it because their mom or their sister like or or their cousin shared it. And that person's going to nag them until, hey, did you watch that video? Hey, did you watch that video? I want to talk to you about it. That's something. So getting people to share your videos matters. Sure. The majority of how we find YouTube videos is in YouTube, in the YouTube search. The YouTube search and the YouTube search features account for 70% of the views on my videos and on my channel as a whole. The features that are related to either YouTube search or related video or a channel recommendation, meaning all the stuff that has to do with titles, descriptions, and tags, people think that they're clever making a funny title. Mm -hmm. Who's going to search for your funny title? Make it clear what your thing is. Now, if you're an entertainer, maybe, sure, but then it better have a really good thumbnail. Are you a really good like person who's a designer to make a thumbnail that looks like a billboard? Or are you a really good photographer to make a thumbnail that looks like, you know, oh, wow, that's really cool and that's really sharp and that was a moment in time? Or are you lazy and letting YouTube just do it? Or granted, you can make some decent stuff in Canva, but it's not going to compete with somebody who has that skill. So you're at a disadvantage for if your thing looks like the, if you do show up in search after you've done that work, if your thumbnail looks the least interesting, the least professional, or the least sharp, 
boy, is it going to be harder to get someone to click that one versus the other five that look better. Are you able to give any stats on what you think is going to be the likely increase in the number of clicks through to your video if you have a lovely personalized billboard, as you put it, instead of just a standard image taken from a it YouTube will, video? It will, it, there is no stat and no metric. Everyone keeps trying to quantify this, but it's like advertising. You can't. It's like you either know your audience and you did something that they're going to think is interesting and cool or is going to sell to them, or you didn't. And you won't know until you actually do it. You might think that your thing is, you know, great until it flops. So it's a matter of how well do you know your audience? How well do you know your craft? And you have to be honest with yourself about how good there is. There's no measuring stick for it except does this look, if I'm honest with myself, does this look better than the other things that showed up on the front page? And if the answer is no, the answer is no. It's a matter of really looking honestly at where the bar is set and saying, I need to step my game up, which means that it matters because after that, okay, let's say you got the click. Now your video is out of focus or it's grainy or you're in a dark room. All right. And now your audio sucks. Five seconds. Nope. So which means you might have gotten a click, but it won't even count as a view because you didn't pass the 15 second mark that YouTube used as the count of view. And someone was like, nope, your, your video sucks. And so, okay, decent lighting. Decent audio probably matters. And decent lighting can be outside. Decent lighting can be in front of a window. That's not complicated. That's not expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, decent lighting can be uh, a lamp. And as far as a good camera, this is Blab, where we don't even have true HD video. I'm using a Logitech C920. I'm sure you're using something similar. I'm using the same, yeah. I'm using um, like a bulb that was in a pack for like $8 that Terry White recommended for an ice lighting bulb in a mainstays $20 lamp that's sitting here on my shelf at my second workstation for uh for doing like live stream stuff and that is it and this microphone is the $50 audio technica so like right there that's 120 bucks and i've got you know broadcast quality everything yeah so it doesn't have to be that complicated a $20 lapel mic in a, a smartphone gets you the same thing you put it on a $20 phone tripod or a selfie stick and you've got stabilization. I mean, so these things matter to people because you're asking them for time. So once you get that time and you don't waste it and you get the view and the watch time engagement and the feedback and the comments and the likes, that tells YouTube that you're doing you know, quality work and they will uh, reward that appropriately. I saw a kid that did a review of a Garmin um, fitness band he got 50,000 views. He has 65 uh, subscribers. He doesn't post content a lot, though. So, like, that's why he was able, and he still ranks on the first page, even though he did that review like six months ago. Like, it, like, quality work matters, and people neglect that. I don't care how hard you're working if the result is that it's still not good. Like, if you really, like, I could have played basketball every day, but I'm like 5'7. And I'm nearsighted, okay? Like, I'm not going to beat people who have been, who are like more talented and have a skill set there and care more about basketball than I do. Now, granted, what I did do was I was the cross country and track champion uh, and the captain of my team over people who are more athletically blessed because I outworked them. And I outwork them at getting faster and getting better and outrunning them. 
Now, if you have less talent, but you work harder to make up for your weaknesses, then you can beat someone with talent until that talented person decides that they're going to double down and outwork you. Coming up, we're going to be learning about the one piece of software that Roberto couldn't live without. But first of all, do you want to start your own show? I'm in the process of putting all my podcasting and live broadcasting experience into one place and producing a course on how to start and master your own show. If that might interest you, dear dear viewer, dear listener, um, I'd love your feedback. Just go to startyourownshow.com and take two minutes to fill out my survey helping me to decide if that's the kind of course that I should be producing. So just go to startyourownshow.com. But let's segue into the second section of our discussion, and that focuses on Roberto's thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So, Roberto, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? I would say uh, the Adobe Creative Suite disproportionately Mm. is the software that I rely on the most. Um, Now, granted, I could supplement that with um, a different software that does something similar. But boy, do I rely on the Adobe stuff. And, um, you know, that's definitely the backbone of a lot of what I do. And is that mainly Photoshop you're talking about there? or No, the entire creative suite. The entire creative suite. I have the uh, subscription model. uh, So it's all of the programs for about $60 a month after taxes. A lot of people whine about uh, paying the Adobe utility bill and saying, oh, I'm enslaved to Adobe forever. No, you're enslaved to a scarcity mentality if you even think that way. To have $60 a month, $2 a day be the cost of having $3,000 plus of upfront software, I would I would rationalize and say, if you have $3,000 worth of software and you don't have a capability of execution that can make that worthwhile for you, boy, do you have a bigger problem than figuring out how to afford $2 a day and not spending that on coffee. You have a much bigger problem if you have $3,000 worth of assets that you can't leverage to do something that makes a real difference in your life or your career. Here's a slightly more challenging question. What piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Oh, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that, oh, wow, that is a really good question. Wow. You almost stumped me here. Um, (laughs) I didn't think I could do that. Now, I would say that something that I'm looking at a little bit more is Post Planner. I, I primarily use Buffer for some of my social media scheduling and stuff like that, but I've heard good things about Post Planner, and I'm thinking of exploring it, if for no other reason, to be able to speak intelligently to my clients about it. So I would say that that's probably something I'm looking at. Great. Okay. Well, um, it's postplanner.com by the look of it. So I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I include links to that and your Adobe Creative Suites um, in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But um, let's move on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I wish that I had really looked at diversifying my monetization strategy sooner. I really wish that I had done more with um, affiliate marketing a lot sooner. And right now, 
even though I think it's fun, I think I proved like my thesis and the value of having an audience and being authentic without having to sell, sell, sell every minute. I do also wish that I had gone into info products sooner. That's something I'm doing this year. Uh, I haven't rolled that out yet. Um, so it's one of those things where I do interviews like this and I have absolutely nothing that I can plug to sell, <laughs> but I can, you know, plug my, uh, my newsletter, grow my mailing list, which is really still more of me just giving a lot of free upfront value, to be honest. Um, and giving away like parts of my journey and some of the things that I do, I don't have secrets, but I have things that they're not secrets in my opinion. They're things that I found that work for me that actually are very practical and translate for a lot of other people. There are good habits that I have. There are good resources that I use. There are tools that I've learned to make very effective. So I share a lot of that. So what I really wish I'd done is I really wish that I had done more affiliate marketing early on. Like right now, I mean, I, I can't disclose YouTube earning numbers, but I can tell you that I'm doing almost 2000 in Amazon affiliate marketing in my business every month. That's a very healthy part of my pipeline. If I've been doing that more, I've only been doing that for maybe a year or less, or like a year, a year and a half. If I've been doing that five years ago, boy, could I have scaled that right. and probably take it to like, you know, being like a five or $10,000 a month pipeline by now. I could have made affiliate marketing a six-figure business by itself at this point through authenticity and just sharing the resources and tools I use every day. Because that's all I do is like, I know that people who want to do YouTube, some of them have a budget. Some of it's fixed. I tell them what I'm using. And like we talked about, it, I'm using a $50 microphone and look at how great the quality is. Yeah. If you want to get into a podcast, you know, you don't have to break the bank to do it. And then there are things that I use that are very effective for, I'm a small frame guy. Sometimes equipment can get heavy. I have a couple of tricks and a few products that I buy that are lighter weight to match my body type. There are backpacks and travel bags that I use to match my body type that work out really well for lugging around photography and video camera gear. So it's, it's simple things like being human. I think the core of all of my success in business, in social media, in YouTube, in life is that I really focus on empathy. I really focus on what can I do or what have I learned or what have I even made a mistake at that if I talk about it or I show it can create some kind of value or be helpful to somebody else in what they're trying to accomplish. Okay. Um, so am I right in saying that um, what you're saying is a lot of what you do is actually following your gut instinct in terms of um, what you feel is the right thing to do? You're not following things for ROI, short term certainly, but um, you believe that um, what you're doing will pay off financially long term, but um, you can't necessarily quantify exactly when. I actually can quantify it, but um, not in a way that's satisfying to bean counters in a way. Mm. What I can tell you is that human beings have really good BS detectors. So when you are only in something for yourself from a business standpoint, that's how you go out of business real quick. Most people in the Western world will tell you that businesses exist to make money. You know who was really interested in making money? Blockbuster was really interested in making money. Where are they now? Well, they certainly didn't go around the um, streaming media routes like they should have done about 10 years ago. Well, the thing is, a lot of people would make the argument that, well, they couldn't have known, they couldn't have known. But if they had been paying attention uh, instead of just listening to their own echo chamber, they would have realized that the experience of driving the blockbuster in the rain after work, after a hard day, fighting traffic only for the movie you want to not be there. You buy something else so that you don't feel like you're leaving empty handed because you really didn't want this thing. You put off watching it until the last day, procrastinate on something else that was important. 
get there and the store is closed, have to return it tomorrow and pay the late fee is not a really good experience compared to clicking a button and getting exactly what you want at a much cheaper price Absolutely. every single time. But they had a lovely brand. They could have used their brand for streaming, but um, they didn't do that. They romanticized the situation. Mm. They looked at their numbers and said, we've got distribution. We've got all these change. Um, you know, we've got all these chain stores. We've got all this stuff going on. And no upstart tech company that doesn't even have a physical location is going to knock us off the top of the mountain. So they romanticized it. They looked at their numbers and they let numbers tell them a story that they wanted to hear. And they didn't listen to human beings. Oh, wow. Numbers will lie. Human behavior does not. Numbers will lie because you'll make them say what you want to hear. You will take numbers and you will make them say what you want to hear. The marketplace is always predicated on human behavior. A lot of marketers are obsessed right now and say, I love that I can measure PPC. I love that I can measure PPC. I love that I have the stats in the spreadsheet and I'll never give up PPC. Influencer marketing is going to crush PPC over the next five, 10 years. I will bet any amount of money on it. Uh, now, PPC won't go away, but PPC will start being and is already being more closely tied to influencer marketing, i.e. the media buys in high-level YouTube influencers. And for brands, as a business owner, I don't say this as a YouTuber, I say this as a business owner, it would make more sense when I do uh, my book release um, at the end of this year, the beginning of next year for the Just Create Awesome book, it would make more sense than for me to buy PPC ads in Google to promote my book. It would make more sense for me to give free copies of my book to top book reviewers in YouTube, to top YouTubers, to top designers. It would make more sense for me to take my ad budget and give copies of people who have audiences and followings that would benefit from the book and also the, the 11 individuals that are interviewed in the book, it would make more sense for me to give them copies to give away and to do things like that than to buy ads. It would make more sense for me to hop on podcasts like this every week for four months before the book releases to do that and for the first two to three months of the book being out to keep getting on podcasts and to keep talking about it and to go onto YouTube channels, uh, big and small, anyone that has at least a thousand subscribers, that would make more sense and have more return on investment for my time and generate more book sales because me as a human being and another human being that already has cultivated a following is going to be much more impactful to a sale than a static image and a link. And so Marketers have to stop romanticizing ROI from a bean counter standpoint and look at ROI as ROE, which is something uh, my friend Joel Com talks about, return on experience. Return on experience as a framework and a business model would have actually saved Blockbuster because they wouldn't have passed on the option to buy Netflix if that was the case. It would have saved so many other businesses. Um, right now, like a lot of people in the camera world are having the conversation of mirrorless versus DSLR, but you know, they're ignore they're there, but that's all pro photographers and not all of them poo pooing uh, cameras from their perspective and not remembered that marketers like you and me use cameras too. Hmm. And so what's practical for a pro photographer, Sony might dominate. I, I predict that Sony will dominate among business people and marketers and small business owners over the bulky, heavier DSLR counterparts. And I think that 
with them um, getting influencers who have YouTube and Facebook followings to actually convert from Canon and Nikon to Sony. Oh boy, is that going to make a difference in the marketplace when mm. people see somebody that they respect make a real change like that? It's going to matter. So influence the influencers and then they will influence everyone else. Right. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're sure. only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Raise a go. Mm-hmm. Email or Twitter? Twitter. Audio or video? Video. That was an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one -on -one relations. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Telephone number. Website or app? Both. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Social. And local marketing or global marketing? Global. Yay! So it was website or app that um, probably had you uh, pondering more than most of the, the options there. Right now, website, but more and more in the future, app. A lot of people in the marketing world, like, and I hate saying this because it sounds egotistical to say, but it's like people are lazy. <laughs> like, I, I say that because um, with regard to when it comes down to having multiple websites to represent um, different aspects or different brand elements, i.e., for example, um, a lot of people would say, oh, don't have davidbain.com and then digitalmarketingradio.com and then another thing. Just go ahead and consolidate them in one place or something like that and make it easy for people to find. It's like, that's not easy for people to find, not from a contextual point. Mm. If they're only interested in your podcast and they want to listen to your podcast, they should have a place where they can just listen to your podcast with no other distractions or interruptions. They should, if they just want to contact you and do business with you to have you come and be a public speaker or to hire you to produce their show, they should be able to do that without having to get through and hunt. So it's about user experience and it's about the relationship. So I think that a lot of times in the marketing conversation and even the business conversation, people, because they don't have a strength at something, will then make up a really good case study or a really good explanation as to why to do something because it's comfortable when if you want to be comfortable, don't go into business. If you want to go into, <laughs> if you want to be comfortable, don't go into marketing. You know, if you want to be comfortable, don't become a public figure. You do things on the behalf of what's easiest for um, the the marketplace that we live in. And with that in mind, I think that going directly to social media, which is why I said social over email, mm. is I want to go to where someone is and make them follow me. I don't want to have to force them to opt in or opt out of that relationship in a way that's uncomfortable for them. Fine, I'll go to you. I'll I'll drive to you. I'll go to where you are. I'll play where you're at. You know, that is what a human being values, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's not cost effective. I think that it's about playing the long game. And people say that, but they don't do it. And, you know, I've very much played and continue to play the long game. In that regard, I mean, I decided to literally make a podcast because I realized there was a segment of my audience that needs to like still get their work done at work and can't watch a YouTube video, but still might need the value and might need deeper than a five or 10 minute thing. Uh, 
people like said, Hey, I've been listening to you and even some of the motivational stuff when I'm working out in the gym. And they've told me that. So I was like, I will meet the demand of making that easier than you having to rip the audio from a YouTube video for you to like do that. I will just go and make some content that plays very well in audio for you guys once a week versus the more bulk of my content being in YouTube. I will like do some stuff. And again, someone would say, well, why wouldn't you just strip the audio out of your YouTube videos and make a podcast easy on yourself? Um, context of platform that wouldn't be me respecting the relationship of an audio listener versus a video viewer. Yeah. Absolutely. Respect the relationship. I just don't feel that most people in business and in marketing respect a hundred percent human relationship. And I think that's reflective in their behavior and that we can see it. And I think that the businesses and the brands that do that are the new winners that we're seeing every day. And I think as the goes on, goes on, people will preference the ecosystem of their apps versus um, just a website. And there's so much more competition now compared with what there used to be five or 10 years ago. Five or 10 years ago, if you didn't have many competitors in your niche, then perhaps you could get away with just distributing your content all over the place, syndicating the same stuff. But it's professionalism now. You know, as you've you've mentioned already, it's about um, using these microphones. You don't have to spend that much, but um, you have to certainly give the reader, the listener, uh, the subscriber, um, that experience where they'll want to subscribe to you, they'll want to come back to you and give them that reason to listen to you rather than someone else. Absolutely. It's about like, do you want to, do you want to build the biggest building in town or not? As Gary Vaynerchuk would say, it's like, and that means putting in the work. It's like, do you just want these vanity metrics and do you want this measurement or do you really want to have the relationship, the loyalty, the value? And do you want that to translate, you know, in a meaningful way? Um, that really, really matters. And when you care, when you show that you care, I mean, it's not, it's we, 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 like people, like I'll, I'll take this to a marketing thing, especially for the biz world, because people would make the argument that a lot of what I do isn't practical. I'm proving the practicality of it by outworking. And I don't say that arrogantly. I mean, outwork, I, I say outworking because I'll do a live stream at, in Periscope and then I will go back and there might have been 15 people that shared that. And you know what I do? I do a 15 to 20 second video Twitter response to each and every one of those people that shared it to say thank you. And you've seen me do that. And you've seen me do that on other things. Um, on New Year's, like when I had a bunch of time to kill, I sat there and I did 20, sorry, not 20. I did an hour and 20, an hour, 30 minutes of 250 something personalized Twitter thank yous, like a, a freaking happy New Year card individually by name to the brands that I've worked with, the the clients that I've worked with that happen to be in Twitter, my best relationships, anyone who had me on an interview, like just to say anyone, any sponsor that ever sent me a product, just to say thank you yeah. and that I respect our relationship and have a great and prosperous new year. I did that. Like there are a lot of people, even as solo entrepreneurs that have the time and they won't take that. There's so many of them that complain about, well, I don't want to be in Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and then still have to make this other content and do a blog and do articles. And I'm like, you could set aside an hour and if you have to put out content for the entire week, you could probably do it. You could probably do it. If I wanted to do um, really quality content for my email list for the next month, it would take me 45 minutes to do four emails and send out quality content every week and schedule and automate that it would take me 45 minutes. It would take me 15 minutes 
to write some very thoughtful individual tweets and take some images from my inventory and to schedule some of that to go out to have five or 10 Twitter posts that are quality posts for the entire week. In an yeah. hour, I've already created a ton of value. It would take me, if I decide I don't want to edit anything, I could turn on this webcam, I could do a YouTube live stream, I could take 15 minutes and I could just drop some value bombs and there's no editing and it's done and it's an HD quality with great audio and that's it and I could walk away. And all of a sudden, I, I mean, the reason I did 365 days a year of like content on YouTube and now I'm getting into almost like year two of that now, I wanted to prove the thesis to my marketing clients that if I have the ability to do 300 or 500 videos a year, you have no excuse for not packaging 20, 30, or 50 of these a year if you have resources and a team because I'm a one-man band. Or if you're someone in business as an entrepreneur, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a single dad, and you're like, I don't have the time. You're letting me run a full-time business. You're letting me market in every single major platform, experiment with new platforms as they arrive, still travel every single month, and again, run a full-time business and do like 10 consulting clients a month plus some actual design clients on top of that and some other things and write a book and say that you don't have the time. And I, and I bet, I bet the first ones you did were a lot tougher as well. Probably the first fifty or so were absolutely. just as, just as challenging as the next two hundred after that. Abs well, absolutely. But I also kept raising the bar. I kept looking at instead of how to get more views, how to get more subscribers. I was like, I really hate the color grading on this. How do I get better at color grading? Oh, I really hate the audio. Let me learn Adobe Audition. Let me learn about audio levels and tweaking. Let me learn about gain. Let me know about adaptive noise reduction. Let me know about noise gating. Let me, I educated myself about all of this. That's the other thing people don't do is people want to grow a following, but they don't learn the platform. They won't learn that YouTube SEO matters, that you have like 500 characters to use for tags. You should max them out. You have like 100, 150 uh, words for a title. So maybe... Uh, if you want to rank for more things, even though it seems like a long title wouldn't play well, you know what really works more than being concise? Being clear. You ne you're never concise at the expense of clarity, of communication. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? If I was going to spend $10,000 on a single thing, I would probably spend $10,000 subcontracting multiple people to uh, basically scale my time and take things off of my plate. And therefore, I could focus on my higher level business goals. And my, my, my point to that would be, it wouldn't be about making back $10,000. It would be about appropriating the value of my time as much as possible for that $10,000. So I would use that $10,000 to buy back as much of my time as possible in things that move the needle. And do you have an idea what aspect of your time you'd actually want to get saved? I mean, for instance, would you have someone else produce your videos for you? No, but I would have somebody else probably edit more of my videos for me. I, would, I wouldn't necessarily, or I'll put that another way. I would have somebody probably edit all of the YouTube content and buy back all of that time, I would then probably produce more content knowing that they're going to edit it and I only have to shoot. And I would probably have that person actually, I would have, I would, what I'd probably do is I'd probably have one person editing on site, my core content that goes out for the seven days a week. And I'd probably then 
pay somebody to help me with the filming and also film different types of content and shoot more. And then I would actually probably try and see, well, what is the ROI of two videos a day versus one video a day? And I would do that and then have someone edit the bonus material remotely. And I would have somebody then I would use that time to say, okay, now that this is a systematized, I can focus on creating my info products now. And I would hire the people to facilitate that. So I could make the money back there because now I'm spending that time differently doing, uh, you know, so that's how I would spend $10,000. I would spend $10,000 scaling what I'm already doing, buying back more of my time so I could put my time into my higher level of uh, value props and building out the other things that I want to do. My number one takeaway. Well, Roberto, you have offered so much value in this conversation, so maybe this next question could be tough. So what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their businesses? Respect the relationships that you have, whether it's with your customers, whether it's with your clients, whether it's with the people that you work with, whether it's the people in your employ or the audiences that you want to build. If all of your actions are dictated by creating value for other people, creating something awesome, putting it out there because it will help or benefit other people beyond you, beyond putting money in your pockets, beyond giving you what you want in ROI or vanity metrics or whatever it is. Good intentions ultimately matter. And I'm not saying that from a rose-colored glasses perspective. I'm saying that as human beings, if you don't have good intentions toward us and you don't respect us, we will see it eventually and we will make a decision with our wallets. We will teach you the same painful lesson that Blockbuster learned when you don't create a good experience for us. We will teach you the same painful lesson that companies have when their top talent quits and goes to the competition. We will teach you those same painful lessons if you do not respect your audience, your viewership, your, um, your, your family, your employees, your clients, your customers. They make you what you are. The network that you have is some of your greatest value. And if you treat people poorly, um, you treat them unintelligently, you show that you're only in this for yourself for what you can siphon from them, they will see through it and they will cut you off at the knees and you will have nothing. So if you want to grow an audience on YouTube, you want to build a business, respect people and respect human beings, start thinking about returning on the relationships, think about what you can give and stop thinking about how to just make as much of a quick buck as possible or how to get a quick view or how to you know fake it until you make it or do a scam. Be more than willing to let good intentions and the respect of a relationship prepare you to deliver on the hard work that success and creativity demands from you. Wow. Okay. That takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? So they can learn more about me at uh, robertoblake.com. And there they can find out more about me, my background, the services I provide. Uh, if they want to grow their audience in social, they want to use social media to grow their business and sell, uh, they can reach out to me for one-on-one -on -one paid coaching and consulting. I do provide that. Uh, if they're interested in having a public speaker, I do that as well. If they want to get the most value that I have to offer up front, then they can consume my free content every week over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Roberto Blake 2. But just remember, success is not one size fits all. So there is a limit to the value that you can get there because not everybody's going to connect the dots. Some people will need it broken down 
and will need a prescription or roadmap for their individual success. So, thanks to Roberto and thanks to your listener too. If you enjoy what Roberto shared today, here's how you can help. Go to your friend's iPhone, go to the podcast app, and search for Digital Marketing Radio. Click on the show, and then hit the subscribe button and make them listen too. Finally, I'm also host of another live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. So head over to thisweekinorganic.com and find out more about that. But that's all for now. Until we meet again, adios, and thanks again for joining me, Roberto. Absolutely incredible content. Thank you so much for having me. And remember, everybody, create something awesome today.